years ago, when I came to Applewood Community Church, it came to uh, the Christmas Eve service, and uh, I asked the deacons at the time, our, our leadership team, what would you think if on Christmas Eve night I read a story? And they all thought that that would probably be okay. And I have been reading stories on Christmas Eve night ever since. It's, um, it's really kind of fun. I spend weeks reading lots of Christmas stories, which is probably the greatest motive for why I choose to do it. Um, however, I don't have the time to read lots of Christmas stories to you tonight. I have to choose one. And so this year's story I would like to read for you is called Merry Christmas, Mrs. Marigold. It was Christmas Eve. The snow had begun to fall down lightly, dancing in little whirls around the corners of the building and and swarming like clouds of white moths in the yellow glow of the street lamps. When Mr. Mosler and Mr. Crump met at Schultz's Cafe for their evening meal. Now, their meeting was neither accidental nor planned, but was the inevitable result of the fixed pattern of their lives which, by the calcifying processes of habit, bus schedules, and advancing age, had settled into hard, unvarying grooves. Schultz's Cafe happened to be that point at which those grooves intersected without fail each working day at 6.10 p.m. Mr. Mosler greeted Mr. Crump with a grunt, to which that individual replied with a disinterested nod. This had become standard ritual with them before partaking of their evening meal. Big Schultz's smile was especially broad that evening. His face a glistening sun with a stubble of prickly black beard. Merry Christmas, beamed Big Schultz. Mr. Mosler extended his arm along the counter in the direction of a folded copy of the evening paper. Mr. Crump said, it's a lousy Christmas. Pig Schultz was not altogether taken aback by this reply, for having seen these two grumble their way through 12 Christmases running, he had expected something of the sort. He was, nevertheless, indignant. Look, he said, there ain't no such thing. Ain't no such thing as a lousy Christmas. Humph, grunted Mr. Crump. Who are you trying to kid? Once a year, everybody runs around yelling, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And then everybody else is supposed to feel real fine. Makes me tired, that's what. And he rubbed his dry hands across his chin. (laughs) Big Schultz was getting angry. Ah, you old sour apples, you ought to be ashamed, he said. You should be cheerful at Christmas time. Why? demanded Mr. Crump, at which Mr. Mosler peered sharply across the top of the evening paper at Big Schultz. Big Schultz didn't tell them why. Mainly because he could not, for the moment, think of just why it should be that way. All he knew was that he was excited to close his shop and go home because the children were in the Christmas program over at the church. And Dolly was going to say her first Christmas recitation. And after the service, there would be the presents around the Christmas tree at home. And Lewis and Lena were coming over with their kids. And together, it promised to be a fine evening. But all this was too much to put into just one simple why. So he just said, don't you know what Christmas is? Sure, I know what Christmas is, said Mr. Moser, like a terrier taking after the neighbor's cat. Christmas is a promotion scheme, the biggest promotion scheme ever invented to get suckers to spend their money on a lot of foolishness. 
Now, how about some service? We got the Christmas Eve special tonight. Turkey, mashed potatoes. See what I mean, Mr. Mosler said? Christmas special all over town. It's just a promotion, and you yourself got to admit it, Schultz. Make mine the usual. Mine too, said Mr. Trump. Ham and eggs and fried potatoes, grumbled Big Schultz back in the kitchen for 12 solid years. What a pair. From Schultz's cafe, the Crump groove and the Mosler groove paralleled each other, not of choice, but of necessity, to a large house that stared with a gray and emotionless face across a nubble, choked old hedge at the corner of the block. Once it had been a sumptuous home whose rooms had known the sounds of laughter and affection, but through many downward twists of fortune, it had come at last to serve out its remaining years as a rooming house, kept by a drab and perpetually weary-looking little woman with the inappropriately bright-sounding name of Mrs. Helen Marigold. The house had two front doors. One door entered directly into the living room of Mrs. Marigold's ground-floor apartments and was used exclusively by her. The other provided entrance to a gloomy hallway that extended back to rooms two and three with a stairway to the upper floor where lived the gentlemen Crump and Mosler in rooms five and seven, respectively. Immediately to the right, upon entering this tenant's doorway, was a glass door, which permitted access from the hall as well as a view into Miss Marigold's living room. Approaching the house, the two men noted that it was entirely darkened except for the dim yellow light in Mrs. Marigold's living room. Yes, everybody's out tonight except the old lady, said Mr. Mosler. I turned down an invitation myself, said Mr. Crump. Didn't feel so good today. Thought I'd turn in early. Pfft, invitation, you old hypocrite, thought Mr. Mosler in a tight little corner of his mind. But to Mr. Crump, he said, well, the old lady's home anyway. Isn't she always, reflected Mr. Crump. After this exchange, they ascended the stairs and went each to his own room and to his own thoughts and the enjoyment of those thoughts. Before entering their rooms, however, each paused curiously in front of the door and examined the floor, probing the dusky sh dusty shadows with, with a foot as if in search of something, and then went in and closed the door behind them. Perhaps half an hour of peace ensued, during which time there was no sound from any quarter of the big house, which stood shrouded in musty shadows. Then... Mr. Mosler was startled by a rapping on his door. Who's there, he cried. It's me, Crump. Well, what do you want? Well, open the door. Mr. Crump came in and surveyed the furnishings of Mr. Mosler's apartment with a critical eye. It was the first time he'd ever been in it. Did you get a fruitcake, he asked abruptly. Well, now that you mention it, no, said Mr. Mosler. How about you? Not that I care about it, understand, but I was just curious to know, said Mr. Crump. I suppose she just hasn't brought them up yet ventured Mr. Mosler. Maybe so, said Mr. Crump. And after a bit, he rose and returned to his room. Left to himself in the musty silence, Mr. Mosler began to feel strangely uneasy. At first, it was the absence of the fruitcake that troubled him. In all the 12 years that he had lived in this house, Mrs. Marigold had never failed to place a brightly done-up little fruitcake in front of each tenant's door on Christmas Eve. Yet here it was, Christmas Eve, and no fruitcake. It troubled him. The other thing that troubled him, even more, was the fact the absence of Mrs. Marigold's Christmas fruitcake 
should trouble him so. It had never seemed important before. In fact, he had been a little annoyed by them. And Crump and he had both affected a certain disdain at such frivolity. Yet here he was, not only wondering why he hadn't gotten fruitcake this year, but actually troubled about it in a strange way. And then there was that business of Crump pounding on his door to ask if he'd gotten his fruitcake yet. He couldn't brush the webs of it from his mind and, and found himself listening inadvertently for sounds from Mrs. Marigold's apartment below. But the house remained silent. Mr. Mosler wondered if the other tenants had received their fruitcakes yet. If so, why should he and Crump have been overlooked? And then he remembered that, after all, he had never bothered to give Mrs. Marigold anything, never sent her a card, nor, oh, and this gave him a genuine pang, could he recall having ever thanked her for her little gift. Not that it was important, of course, yet it gave him a strange, uneasy feeling. It was as though a last tiny candle went out, leaving the room in heavy darkness. And one suddenly realized how very dark is dark and how light is even a tiny light. This is foolish. Foolish way for me to feel, he thought. Perhaps a walk to the drugstore will clear this thing from my mind. And he began to put on his overcoat and his shoes. Meanwhile, Mr. Crump, after retiring to his room, had been experiencing much the same emotions. So it was that when Mr. Mosler left his room and walked down the gloomy hallway and descended the stairs, there at the bottom of the stairs was Mr. Crump. He, too, was about to go out, but had paused for a moment to peer through the glass door into Mrs. Marigold's living room. For heaven's sakes, Crump, what are you doing? Oh, I, uh, I was about to go for a walk, explained Mr. Crump. And then after a moment, he added, I suppose she's gone out for the evening, don't you suppose? Mr. Mosler thought about this, and it seemed quite a logical explanation, except that in all the time that he had known her, Mrs. Marigold had never gone out on an evening. He mentioned this to Mr. Crump, who was compelled to agree. They stood for a moment, peering through the glass, and something seemed not quite right about the living room. Mr. Crump was the first to define it. Look, he exclaimed, the Christmas tree. Mr. Mosler looked. He glanced quickly sideways at Mr. Crump and then looked again. Finally, he said, what are you talking about? I don't see any Christmas tree. That's just it, said Mr. Crump. There isn't any. But she's always had one, a little one, sitting on that small table in the corner. Remember? No fruitcake, no Christmas tree. Do you suppose Mrs. Marigold is sick? A sense of trouble pierced Mr. Mosler like a draft of cold air through the dark hall. But he quickly shook it, off, shook it off. Nah, he replied, she's just come to her senses, that's all. Anyway, if she were going to go out for Christmas Eve, why should she bother with a tree? You're worse than an old woman, Crump. With that, he opened the outside door and stepped out onto the porch where he stood for a moment in the chill air. He pulled the collar of his coat up around his cheeks and happened to glance at the porch in front of Miss Marigold's entrance. For a long while, he stood as though struggling to rid himself of some thought that kept tugging at his mind. The house behind him lay shrouded in death-like silence, and the snow lay deep and white and undisturbed on Mrs. Marigold's front porch. He went back into the hallway and drew the door shut. She's in there, said Mr. Mosler. Mosler said, Mr. Crump, I'm worried. 
He knocked on the door. There was no response. I think we should go in, he said. So Mr. Mosler and Mr. Crump found themselves in Mrs. Marigold's living quarters on Christmas Eve and were greeted there by the same complete and utter silence that had pervaded the whole house. They moved uncertainly through the living room and the dining room. In the dining room, they found an old piano. That's odd, said Mr. Mosler. I have never heard Mrs. Marigold play the piano. On top of the piano, at one end, was a photograph of a man taken many years before. And across it was written the name Alvin. This must have been her husband, said Mr. Crump. Been dead a long time, said Mr. Mosler. There was some sheet music spread out on the piano as though the old yellowed sheets were waiting for their melodies. It was simple music written for a child. Opposite the man's picture on the piano was a photograph of a lovely young girl of perhaps 10 years of age. And tucked into a corner of the paper frame was a tiny snapshot of a new grave heaped with floral pieces. The two men returned to the living room. There was still one door standing slightly ajar, which they had both pointedly ignored. It was the door to Mrs. Marigold's bedroom. Listen, whispered Crump. Did you hear something? They stood without breathing, and in the cold silence, there was a sound, faint, unrecognizable. It, it came from beyond the door that they dreaded to enter. Mr. Crump shuddered and then squared himself with duty and pushed into the room. Mosler followed, and they fumbled for a light switch on the wall. With a click, the light came on. A man's old-fashioned watch on a heavy gold chain hung from the head of the bed, and it was ticking, 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 so close that it almost touched the cheek of Mrs. Helen Marigold. An old black pipe lay on the small stand beside the bed together with a glass and an empty bottle. A child's doll lay on the pillow beside her head. They looked from the woman lying on the bed to the empty bottle on the table. And the thought came at first reluctantly, then broke over them like a crash of thunder. She's taking poison. She's still alive, though. I'll call a doctor. Hurry, man. I'll see if I can rouse her. So they brought the night alive, and the doctor came in a screaming ambulance and worked with her. I think we can save her, he said. Thank God you came when you did. Mrs. Marigold stirred, and her, her eyes fluttered. Mr. Crump and Mr. Mosler stood miserably beside the bed. Al? she asked in a sweet, tired voice. No, Mrs. Marigold, it, it isn't Al. It's, it's just us, Crump and Mosler. Al, honey, persisted the sweet, tired voice. The doctor ushered them out to the living room. We'll rush her to the hospital, he said. I think she'll be all right. Crump and Mosler looked at each other and at the doctor. But why would she, Mr. Mosler began, I guess she just couldn't take it any longer, said the doctor. Well, said Mr. Crump, keeping a place like this and as neat as she does, it's just too much work for one old woman like that. The doctor saw that Mrs. Marigold was placed comfortably on the stretcher. There now, he said soothingly, everything's going to be all right. And then he turned to the two men. It wasn't the work, he said. It was the loneliness. The next day, being Christmas Day, Crump and Mosler went to the hospital to see how Mrs. Marigold was getting on. 
They looked odd with their arms full of packages they had bought at the drugstore that stayed open on Christmas Day for emergencies. And they were quite embarrassed with it all. But there was a new light in their eyes. Mrs. Marigold was embarrassed too. Oh, it was so kind of you to come, she said. So kind of you. And it was such a foolish thing for me to do. So very, very foolish. I don't know why. I just don't know. How did you ever come in to find me? God must have sent you. Yes, that's it. God must have sent you. Well, said Mr. Moeller, I guess he did. We missed your fruitcakes, and we got to thinking. We brought you a few presents, said Mr. Crump. They laid their gifts on Mrs. Marigold's bed, and then they unwrapped a bulkier package and began to lay out the pieces it contained. They placed them on a clean white cloth on a little table beside her bed. Some shepherds, tiny animals, Joseph and Mary, and a little major. And wise men kneeling. A crash, exclaimed Mrs. Marigold. And she sounded almost like a child. She took the manger in her frail hands. There was the figure of a tiny baby inside. A sweet expression softened the lines of her face. The Christ child, she said softly, as if remembering something from long ago. I guess I forgot. I guess I just forgot. We're the ones that forgot, Mrs. Marigold, said Mr. Crump. Mr. Mosler agreed with this. And while they were standing beside her bed, looking at the figures in the Christmas scene, a quiet peace came over their hearts like the soft touch of an angel's wing. And on their way home, they stopped at Schultz's Cafe for dinner. Merry Christmas, Schultz, cried Mr. Crump. We'll have the Christmas dinner special with all the trimmings, said Mr. Mosler. <laughs>